0: Well, happy third Sunday of Advent, everyone. As we have lit the candle of joy this morning, I hope and pray that you all are experiencing something of the joy of this season amidst all of the usual busyness. I look forward to singing some more Christmas carols this week and drinking some warm cider and gathering with friends. This can be a joyful time, but it can also be a difficult time of year for a lot of people. The increasing darkness and cold sometimes seems to suck the joy right out of it. And for those who find themselves isolated from friends or family due to distance or illness or death, this time of year can be downright depressing. So with today's reading, we get to meditate on the Bible's deepest dive into issues of loss and lament, the story of Job. One way to counter the sometimes Christmas blues is to talk about it. And what better conversation partner could we have than this book of poetry that has become almost synonymous with suffering? The prologue to the book of Job, which Laura just read for us, is meant to describe the worst possible example of unjust suffering. The fictitious figure of Job is first presented as someone who is known for doing everything right. He's the most righteous and successful person imaginable in the ancient Near East. And then Job is described as having lost everything by no fault of his own. First, he lost his business, his livestock, and employees. Then he lost his children, all ten of them. And then in the next chapter... He loses his health, which is meant to imply that he has nothing good left. Job's wife sticks with him at first, but she's so broken by all of these tragedies that she tells her husband that he should just drop dead, which kind of implies that their marriage is not doing so well either. And then, to make matters worse, Job's remaining friends come to him, one by one, to tell him that this all must be his fault that God must be punishing him somehow. So Job is then left all alone to figure out what to make of it all. And that's where I think we can start to relate. Job's story is, is intentionally exaggerated, but most people at some point have lost something or someone at some point in their lives. And that experience of loss it can be isolating. Even if we do still have spouses or friends to accompany us, there's usually a point at which it feels like they just don't understand. Maybe instead of listening to us, they're giving advice, sometimes bad advice. Sometimes, as with Job, they can even blame us for our troubles, assuming it must be our fault somehow. Surely doing the right thing leads to success. So failure must then come from doing something wrong, or at least not doing enough of what we should be doing. If we make these kinds of assumptions when we ourselves suffer, then we too can become our own accusers at times. If we find ourselves all alone as Job was, we may start to think that there's something wrong with us. Surely that's why things aren't going our way. And in our shame, we can become even more isolated. Loneliness begets loneliness. The other week I was listening to an an interview with Dr. Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General of the United States, who's written a book about our country's epidemic of loneliness. He told a story about a, a family friend of his who emigrated from India, and this Indian immigrant uh, spoke English, as does the whole country of India, but he had an accent that was really hard to understand, and this made it hard for him to find work in his new home. This friend of Vivek's had a job for a while, but when he got laid off, he felt so ashamed that he didn't tell anybody about it, and he kept away from his friends lest they find out about his failure. Well, without work to go to each day, this man had not, no one to talk to and nothing to do. And Dr. Murthy says he didn't know how isolated his friend was until he found out that he had taken his own life. And Dr. Murthy explains that sadly this is the experience of many immigrants in our country who, like Job, have lost friends and family and jobs as part of their journey which kills their joy and often robs them of self-esteem. It's tragic. And yet we are told in Scripture that it does not have to be this way. God has also given us healthy ways of coping with suffering. And the book of Job offers some helpful lessons for recovering from loss in particular. For instance, in this book, rather than giving in to criticism or descending into despair, we can notice how Job takes his pain to God in healthy lamentation. In subsequent chapters of the book, most of the story is Job speaking to God honestly and directly about his feelings, trusting that God will answer. Job is bold to complain to God in prayer even accusing God of dealing with human beings unjustly. And then Job waits on a response from God, which is the substance of his faith. He goes on living in the midst of great pain and continues to trust in the faithful God who created and still sustains the world. If only we had the same courage and faith of Job. The way he transformed loneliness into solitude, into an opportunity for an encounter with the living God. I knew a person who did this once. Uh, he reminded me of, of Job. I'll call him Ron. Ron had been hugely successful, uh, he was the CFO of a large tech company. He'd been happily married, had four great kids, lived in a mansion overlooking the water. And then, like Job, he lost it all. His job, his marriage. When I met Ron, his house was in foreclosure and his kids were not talking to him. Ron had never been much of a church person, but like a lot of folks who were going through rough times, he came back to worship because he realized intuitively that what he really needed at this low point, was spirituality and community. Secular research has also shown that these are two things that really help people. Spirituality and community. So Ron started coming to church regularly, and he prayed. He prayed a lot. He joined a small group Bible study and built new friendships with people who he wouldn't normally have associated with in his previous life. And eventually, over the course of several years, Ron's joy returned. He later began to talk about how he felt like he had been saved. But not necessarily from sin. He'd been saved from despair. Ron testified about how grateful he was that God was with him when it felt like no one else was. He said to me once, he said, Mark, there were days when I had no one to talk to, and I didn't even have money to buy food, but I have never felt so close to God in all my life. His was, his was an encouraging story of recovery, but I also felt conflicted when he told me that, about his experience of loneliness. I was happy for him, of course, that he'd made it through. I was glad he'd experienced God's love and provision. But when Ron talked about his previous struggles, I also thought to myself, ah, if only I had known what he was going through, how he was hurting and hungry. The church is here to help. We would have helped him. But the thing is, Ron had felt ashamed of his situation, which is why he hadn't told people what was really going on. Unlike Job, Ron had been a little too proud to reach out. He hadn't wanted people to judge him unfairly. And like most of us, Ron was still learning how to receive God's grace. That too was a part of his experience of suffering So I believe this book of Job can also be a lesson for all of us about receiving God's mercy and grace. Even if it's not immediately obvious from this particular story. Most people, when they read the book of Job, they're trying to figure out why. Why bad things happen to good people. But the story, unfortunately, it just doesn't say much about that. Instead, Job complains to God about the injustice of life, and God responds simply by pointing out the complexity of creation, saying essentially, you limited human beings couldn't possibly understand. This may not feel particularly satisfying to us when we are suffering. And yet the book ends with Job still praising God, For being with him in the midst of his suffering. In spite of his doubts. In the face of his complaints. Job grew in grace as a result of his troubles. That's one of the takeaways. And I believe this is what Christ Jesus would have for us to take from this story also. Seeing as how Jesus came to live it. We remember this time of year how Jesus... Came into the world as an infant, the very picture of innocence as Job was. Like Job, Jesus and his family were righteous and without blame. And yet, it seemed like people were just out to get him. King Herod, the scribes, the Pharisees. People would accuse Jesus unjustly, like they accused Job in this story, saying that it must be his fault that he's poor, that his father died, that he had no place to live. It must be by the prince of demons that he casts out demons, they said to him. And so Jesus became, became a man of sorrows, struggling alone in the wilderness, tempted to renounce God. These pressures could not break Jesus' spirit, so eventually the government was called in to condemn him. Jesus, the innocent man, was beaten and taken to the cross where his friends abandoned him. And the people shouted, if he really is God's son, let him save himself. But still, like Job, Jesus did not give in to despair. Once again, he cried out in lamentation, with a very Job-like complaint saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it was finished. This time not a fable, but a final victory over the accuser's word of condemnation. When Christ Jesus then rose from the dead, he assured God's people that suffering does not have to have the last word. That pain and loneliness is not the end. That even death can be overcome by the God who is with us in all things. And we too can be a part of sharing this grace with others. One way we can do this is by working against what social psychologists call the fundamental attribution error. Which is really just the tendency to blame people for their own problems. Like Job's friends assuming that he must have sinned, or the crowds assuming that Jesus must have done something wrong, that he must have deserved to die. But what, when people are suffering, what they need, what they need is companionship, not condemnation. It doesn't matter what they have done or left undone. So when we encounter people who are isolated or in crisis, often immigrants, strangers, the least, the lost, the left out, the left behind, we can follow Jesus in assuming the best about those who are suffering. We we too can reach out in love, regardless of how those children of God God into whatever situation they find themselves in. And we can be present with those who suffer as God is present with us, assuring us that all will be well because our God is faithful. In closing, the last thing I want to reiterate about this message of grace is that it is for us too when we are suffering. Again, one of the great things about Job is that he wasn't quiet about his pain, wasn't shy about expressing it. There's great wisdom in that response. Research has also shown that avoiding negative feelings, it doesn't make them go away. Instead, it has the unfortunate effect of lessening our ability to feel positive emotions at the same time. So avoiding grief actually kills our capacity for joy. So ironically, the path to joy that God intends for us, especially during the season of Advent, it requires embracing our sadness as well. Isn't that strange? Like Job, we're called to face it, to express it, to even welcome it into the presence of God with tears and lamentation. In this too, we can experience God's compassion and grace. We can come to learn how to love ourselves as God does, no matter what we have done or left undone. So thank God that Christ Jesus comes among us to set us free to do just this. Praise God that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been equipped not just to love others and to love God, but to love ourselves in the midst of sorrow. To be content with our own company. And maybe even to rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We can stand firm in the faith that our hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, the restorer of joy, to see us through this Christmas and always. Amen.